welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to evolve, we're revisiting some of the people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic that we profiled in earlier episodes to examine how the coronavirus has impacted them. Today, we'll talk with Angie Ferguson, the Executive Director of Drug-Free Clubs of America, a student-led in-school prevention program where those who pass drug tests become card-carrying members and are rewarded for choosing to remain drug-free. I was first introduced to Drug-Free Clubs of America at a launch rally in Chillicothe, Ohio in 2016, where 1,500 students marched from the gymnasium to the courthouse steps to represent their commitment to being drug-free leaders in their community. And I got, I have to tell you, it was just overwhelming. So here once again to talk about how COVID-19 has impacted their program and the changes they've made on the fly is Angie Ferguson. So welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks. I'm happy to be on again. Okay. So Drug-Free Clubs of America launched its first chapter in your hometown of Cincinnati some 15 years ago. Tell us about how you've grown since then. Well, it's hard to believe it's been 15 years. Um, We started just in our own backyard, uh, primarily in northern Kentucky, walking the up and down Alexandria Pike, talking to businesses, cold calling onto schools and just starting with a handful of schools. And then from there, we figured out how we would carry out the model when it wasn't in our own backyard. And then the next logical step was how to engage local stakeholders in each of the different communities that we work with to use this vehicle to make a difference on their own home turf. So with all of that, progress progress over the, the years. We now are at about 60 schools um, in Ohio, Kentucky, um, West Virginia, and um, talking to a couple other states right now. And over the years, those five random test days during the school year, they've evolved into kind of a celebration. You have food trucks and giveaways at the school. But in March, schools were closed, of course, due to COVID-19. And how is your program a adapted to that change, that drastic change. I mean, your, your drug test days aren't what they used to be. So what do you do? Yeah. So I think like everybody else, we, at first, we just kind of took a breath and let um, the dust settle to see, okay, what is this new world that we're going to be operating within? And then once it became clear that it wasn't going to be a couple of week thing, then we thought, okay, we need to come up with a strategy where we fulfill our mission, keep our commitment to our members. We've got around 11,000 kids in the club right now, just this school year alone and, and last school year and hopefully next school year. 
So we had to make sure that we were meeting our mission. So we came up with a few different things. We identified what the challenges would be in an environment where schools are not open, um, where teachers are overtaxed, and where the family dynamics are likely to be changed just simply based on the stay-at-home orders and the social distancing orders. So we came up with some strategies to meet those challenges. The primary thing, really, the most obvious thing with schools being out was that we didn't want to just wash our hands and say, okay, well, schools are closed, so we can't provide the drug testing component of drug-free clubs because that's really the backbone of the program is the ability for students, for teens to rely on the possibility of a test as an escape from a drug-related situation. But if peers know that school's not in session and the possibility of a test isn't there, then what is the prevention strategy there really? So the first thing we had to come up with was a way that our members could still rely on that out to protect them in those vulnerable moments. So we came up with the idea to actually engage the parents, which is a foundation of our program, and um, worked with our drug test provider to find a way to send kits to the individual homes of our members so that the parents and the teens would all know that this is still a tool that they can rely on regardless of the geography of the test itself, if it's at school or at home. The student can rely on the fact that that test could happen at any time and that's their out when they are out and socializing again. They can use that as a way to deal with a drug-related situation. So those test kits, though, I mean, you could go down to the drugstore and parents could pick up a, a test kit. But these are very unique. You spent a lot of time customizing these to make them very specific to Drug-Free Clubs of America. Speak to that. So over the years, every single year between the school years over the summertime, we revisit what the advancements have been in drug testing what are the new features of drug test cups that are available, drug testing processes that are being followed? And so every year we make tweaks and adjustments also based on what drug use trends we're seeing. So we started working with an individual, um, Kelly, with PSI Labs. Um, they came up with this fabulous test cup that we've used for this past school year. That is a 12-panel test, and it's got some great features built into it, like the shape of it is such that it's very user-friendly. It's easy to hold on to because nobody wants something that is – the process is already awkward enough, so let's make it as comfortable as possible. Um, some drug test cups, when the sample goes into it, it, it will automatically start being um, tested by the, the litmus papers that are within the test cups. but that gets rid of a little bit of the control that the collector has about when to start the test itself. So the test cups we have actually have a key that gets inserted into the side where the person who's collecting the sample can control when the test actually starts. It's got a temperature strip. It's got a lid that snaps down really hard. It's got a gasket on the inside. As we did in the past, like anybody else who's using the cups with screw-on lids, you take the risk that it might be cross-threaded and it goes in the mail 
And by the time it gets to the lab, the sample has leaked. And so the sample is invalid. So this cup itself has, you could, you could hit this thing with a truck and it is not going to get injured or harmed. So um, there's a lot that goes into coming up with a very high quality test kit. And I'm just really thankful to PSI who identified these test cups for us. We've been very, very happy with them. And as we begin to send these cups home to parents, if they've experienced drug testing in the past, or even if they haven't, they will be able to tell the quality of the test cup that we have itself. So what do you test for now? The best way to describe it is really by touching on the the categories. So all of the commonly abused illicit drugs, um, and those, as I mentioned before, we tweak the different panels on our drug test cup every year based on what we're finding is more commonly abused at that time and what has a reliable test associated with it. So the, the commonly abused illicit drugs, then we also approach prescription medications that are commonly abused. Um, when we do that, we do not want, in the case that school is in session, we do not want students to have to bring their prescriptions to school so that that runs the risk of if there's somebody who is seeking to abuse those drugs, then it's a way that they could identify a student as a source of those meds. So the prescription drug panel on our test cup will show individuals who um, are prescribed certain medications like amphetamine, but that's where we take the extra time inside of our office to call parents directly or even through our doctor's office to call parents directly to get prescription details so that we can see the preliminary results of a test and say, okay, this child is drug-free. So we've got our illicit drugs that are tested for, our commonly abused prescription medications, and then we also have an adulteration panel that looks for ways in which the test can be, um, it's called adultered, it can be tricked or, you know, you hear about people flushing their systems. Well, if somebody flushes their system, the specific gravity of their sample will be off, and our test will look for that. And in layman's terms, panel means what? You said 12 panels. Panel means the basically the category of drugs. So I mentioned amphetamines, for example. Amphetamines is the, the family of drugs that will typically include um, prescription medications for ADD and ADHD medications. So it's not necessarily just one drug, it's one drug family. So we have 12 drug families that we research with our cops. And people don't think of tobacco as being a drug, but it is, right? And you test for it. Right. And specifically nicotine in these days when we're talking more about e-cigarettes and vaping devices. Um, so we've gone back and forth as a board and as a program on how to approach the nicotine concept because within drug testing, it's hard to do that test at school because it is very, very possible for the child of um, a parent who smokes or vapes, um, for anybody who's around secondhand smoke, they can get nicotine in their system enough that it will show up on a drug test, even if they didn't choose to abuse nicotine themselves. So we, we have gone back and forth as a group about, yes, we want to approach this 
but we didn't feel like testing for it in school was the right answer. So in our conversation with our drug test supplier and the strategy that we came up with, with to send drug test cups home to, to uh, parents, we also realized those parents know if their child is exposed to secondhand nicotine. So we felt like in-home is the best place for those tests to happen. So a nicotine test will be included with, with each of the drug test kits that are going to the homes that we're sending out. What about alcohol? Alcohol is a whole different thing. We also have the ability to test for it. Um, the window of detection on alcohol is so narrow that what we don't want is to have an alcohol panel on our drug test cup. And let's say a student um, is out on a Saturday night, they're drinking with their friends, then they come to, to school on Monday, the test cup itself is not going to detect alcohol use that happened on Saturday. So what you risk then as a program is to get the reputation that your test doesn't work. When in actuality, it's just it, your body processes that through so fast that it doesn't show up on the test cup. So, again, in our conversation with our drug, te drug test provider, we also negotiated at government prices to be able to provide for our homes, to, for our families, alcohol tests. So that means that on a weekend, if it's a Saturday night and there's some issues, then the parents will have that available to them on Sunday. But additionally, it means that if a student is being pressured to, a teen is being pressured to try something, do something, then they know that there's this test at home and they can rely upon that to say, hey man, I can't do that because I could get tested. It's the exact same approach as the actual drug, drug test cup itself. It's just done more timely when it's a process that can happen inside of the home. It's again, an opportunity for parents to have that conversation with their child, say, I just wanna let you know we've got this here and we hope that you will use it as a way to get out of the situation if you find yourself uncomfortable. Okay, so what about reporting the results? With the schools closed, that'll have to change as well. <laughs> yeah, that is something that when we came up with the thought, okay, let's send, the drug test kits home to the families for the randoms that we still owe for our for our school. So how do we then find out what the result of the test was? Because in a normal environment, the schools send, sorry, not the schools, the collectors who are usually a medical professional that's donated from um, a local hospital, they send the paperwork to us. But that changes in this in this post-pandemic era. So what we are doing is working with our um, tech team to build out an opportunity for students and parents, whomever, to upload the results of their tests to us. And this is gonna be through a microsite or a web form essentially in a way that they do not have to enter any personal identifying information because we have to be very careful. We're talking about drug test results. And um, so, Essentially, they will be provided with a code, and that code will be associated with information that we have within our site, within our database, and the parents just would have to enter that code and then the test results. 
So no identifying information in the event that something would get um, intercepted, you know, when it was being transmitted or something along those lines. So it was important that we got the results, but also very important that we continue to protect our members. So these school closings really present quite a challenge to the continuity of your program, uh, the portions of your program that involve drug education. And uh, also you've got a heightened awareness of, I I guess, once the stay-at-home mandate lifts, you'll, you'll probably want to address that with additional education as well to keep everyone safe. How are you going to go about that? That's actually another area where we really wanted to focus was, especially since teachers and um, school administrators right now are so, um, they're scrambling to make sure that they do the best they can to provide this education for their students in this very strange environment. So the last thing we want to do is take more changes and put more work on them. So we felt like it was our responsibility to find a way to address that ourselves, um, not put it on their plate. So we actually found a way. We have contracted with an individual who was a middle school teacher, and now she's actually a website um, and digital content author. So it was the perfect combination of the skill sets that we would need, and we were able to really come up with a strategy that schools are going to get a summary of the information that we're going to be covering each month. There's going to be weekly content that goes out through email, through strategic social media approaches, and even some print that will go in the at-home test kits that are going out to the to the random selection of our of our kids. So, and I don't know exactly what that's going to develop into in the future, um, but that's the minimum of what it will be. It's really a solid approach to getting the information and awareness out there, making sure that teenagers continue to understand the risk associated with substance abuse, um, giving parents the resources that they may need when these tests are conducted in the home. If they happen to come up positive after lab confirmation, we need to make sure that they have resources. So part of our education component is going to be educating parents and students about what's available out there in the world in this community where facilities are closed. So um, there's, there's a few different components of providing the schools with a snapshot of what we're going to cover, providing the weekly information to go out to everybody, even content that schools could mirror if they have the time within their own educational environment, and then the online resources that are going to be available. Clearly, you've spent a lot of time thinking about the impact of this pandemic that we're having on your membership, and you've adjusted uh, your program accordingly. What kind of long-term impact is it going to have on uh, your program, the Drug-Free Clubs of America, post-pandemic? The idea of thinking about what Drug-Free Clubs is going to be like after the pandemic is, um, I guess, addressed or resolved was really an important thing for us to keep in mind when we were coming up with our solutions. So we didn't want, you know, we're a nonprofit, so we didn't want to spend time and energy and resources on solutions that were temporary. We were really looking for ways that, yes, it is a a fix to some of the challenges now, but also it will improve the program 
down the road. So, for example, the at-home drug test kits. After this is all over, those will still be something that pending board approval, which I, I believe that should go fine, but that's still something that could be available to parents. So it wouldn't just be their student is in drug-free clubs and could be randomly tested at school. It could also be that, hey, we've got this at home too. So the students can have that as a really solid out to deal with peer pressure. Probably the most um, significant one that we're excited about is because of figuring out this piece about the at-home drug test kits and the reporting capabilities, what we realize is that that may give us the opportunity after this is over, that may give us a chance to actually offer a prevention program to the homeschool students who are out there. They, they don't typically have solid prevention measures that are offered because it's, it's not where they're within the school's environment. So the ability to do at-home test kits, they have online resources, they have confidential reporting, and to bolster all of that with the drug education and awareness, that's really an opportunity for those homeschool students, not just to belong to the program and have prevention, but also wouldn't it be neat if their home, if their school district that they live in also has drug-free clubs and they have events that you had mentioned, like the, the food trucks and that kind of stuff. And, and those students who are members of drug-free clubs at the at-home, um, in the at-home strategy, they could share in those events with the students at school, perhaps. So we really see it as an opportunity to serve a whole new section of kids that we have not been able to address in the past. Um, and then, you know, of course, with the education and awareness component, adding this person to our staff through contracting, we just feel like that that whole component can only get better. And as schools and teachers, when they have more time, we will work with them to say, okay, how can we tweak this? What would you like us to add? But the combination of her being a former teacher and our partnership with the Ohio Opiate Education Alliance that's a whole entity in Columbus, Ohio, that's providing some content for our education component as well. That whole combination can only be better after the pandemic, pandemic lift. How can administrators and program leaders learn more about these changes to your program, Angie? From our perspective, we're going to be pushing out information about this. So this is a you heard it first situation here. Um, we haven't released this out to the schools yet because we've only recently finalized everything. Um, so we are going to be informing all of our schools about this information. We'll be sending it out in emails. I'm making personal phone calls to explain everything. We really want the administrators to know that although we aren't in the schools right now, we are fulfilling every component of our strategy and taking the the time and the energy to make sure this program is still being carried out at a very high level. So right now it's going to be us reaching out. We will also be posting this information on our website. So if anybody wants to say, take a look into how are we addressing the issues, that will be available. As this year winds down this most unusual year and you look back on what has happened, what is maybe one success story that stands out in your mind? Well, 
I think probably the way in which everybody has pulled together. Um, it, although this is a very challenging time for everyone, we all, and, and I would say this in everybody's case, not just drug-free clubs, but especially in the educational environment, working with schools, everybody is being, I feel, a little bit more flexible and giving the opportunity to adjust and make changes, but also they're being a little bit more insightful about the impact of the decisions that they make and the, the moves that they make. So I think the biggest positive thing is for people to understand that everybody is working hard to address this as good as possible. Parents, teachers, the communities, everybody's working together. So really that communal feel is, is, the, is very uplifting. I have to say, you make your program look real, real easy to do. After 15 years of doing this, it just looks like it, it kind of everything falls into place, just like clockwork, and it's pretty easy to do. So can you comment on your role and how that's even possible? Thank you. First of all, that's a compliment because we work really hard to make it look easy. <laughs> so on its surface, the strategy, when people first hear about the strategy, which is the, the broad idea is students volunteer to be members. They have to pass the test in order to become a member. Um, we give them positive reinforcement to strengthen their belief set in staying drug-free. Um, we layer in a lot of resources to help parents. And then, we, and then we sort of tie it all together with this education component. And all of that is done under the leadership of student officers at the school. So that's, those are all the components of drug-free clubs sort of married together. In order for that all to work, there is a ton that is done inside of our office and on the back end of things to, to pull it all off. So lots of data entry, um, countless conversations with parents because schools, as you know, um, typically don't get our drug test results. So the conversations that have to be held between our doctors and our staff and the parents, they take time, they take energy, but that's the meat and potatoes of this strategy is when there's a situation identified where somebody has um, experimented with something or we're heading down a risky road, that's where we can be difference makers. And people, by design, schools don't see that piece of what we do, but it takes a great deal of time and effort and energy to do it right. There's, there's ways to do it simple. There's ways to be the easy way out. But we believe that you get one shot at this. We aren't, we aren't talking about, you know, some inconsequential program. Sometimes this is a life-endangering situation. And if we only get one chance to steer that decision, then we better do it right. And, you know, come with everything we've got. So we work really, really hard. Our staff is extremely committed. Um, and, and we do everything we can, hopefully, as evidenced by the changes we've made with COVID, we do everything we can to do our program in the best way that we can figure out. Well, Angie, I want to thank you for your time and enlightening us on all the changes that you've made to Drug-Free Clubs of America in light of COVID-19. 
Sure. And, you know, I want to thank you, too, for all of the work that you're doing to highlight these things, all the different strategies that are out there. We're all working hard to protect these teens and, you know, people, people suffering from substance use disorder. And um, thank you to Cover 2 and everything that you guys do. I hope you all stay safe and healthy as well. Thanks, Angie. Take care. We've been joined today by Angie Ferguson, the Executive Director of Drug-Free Clubs of America, a student-led in-school prevention program where those who pass drug tests become card-carrying members and are rewarded for choosing to remain drug-free. Angie spoke today about the impact that COVID-19 has had on their program and how they've adapted to serve their membership in really creative and meaningful way. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. 